0: One of the things I've seen of nonprofits, of of the value that the help that nonprofits need is if there's an engaged board that Mm -hmm. knows what they do and also knows what they're not supposed to do. Because sometimes boards can get too much in the weeds and sometimes they can be too distant. But, you know, there's that sweet spot that it's, you know, function of the personalities of all the different characters. But the point is a highly functioning, engaged board is invaluable to the success of a nonprofit.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Next Donor. I'm your host, Andy Jones. On Next Donor, we gather practical insights from nonprofit leaders on what it takes to grow your organization and donor relationships. Next Donor is brought to you by Roundtree. I lead Roundtree. We help organizations improve their communications with donors. We create a customized plan and do all the work to execute it. We make it possible for your organization to improve relationships with existing donors and acquire new ones through clear, consistent, and creative communications. Find out more about us at roundtreeagency.com. On today's episode of Next Donor, we're speaking with Mark Atkinson, who is the Executive Director at Durham Opportunity and Justice Incubator in Durham, North Carolina. Mark helps attorneys launch financially sustainable legal practices. He believes more attorneys means more people will have access to better representation no matter the issue they face. But there's a twist to Mark's story. This is not Mark's first career, and he's only been a lawyer for 18 months. So he's a little bit unusual in that regard. But I think what you'll enjoy from listening to Mark is hearing the perspective of somebody who was a business leader serving on boards to becoming an executive director who now reports to a board. But he's also started his nonprofit. He didn't take over leadership at an existing organization. And so now he's become an insider to see what it takes to successfully lead a nonprofit. And so... I've known Mark Atkinson for a number of years. So excited to have him on the show. Let's jump into our conversation. Well, welcome to the show, Mark. It's good to have you.
0: Thank you. Good to be here.
1: Well, you know, so first things first. So you're the executive director of an organization that uh, has a a name and a mission that I've not come across before. Um, I have a feeling a lot of people aren't just familiar with uh, you. Your organization is described as an opportunity and justice incubator. So just tell us, what what exactly do you do?
0: Sure. Yeah. And it's interesting, whenever I'm introduced or whenever I introduce myself as an executive director, I sometimes stumble on that because that's a new term for me as well. But (laughs) we can get to that later. But the opportunity and justice incubator, in simple terms, what I think of is it is an incubator that's trying to help lawyers or attorneys start a practice trying to create opportunity for the attorneys and trying to improve access to justice for the for clients. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled out opportunity and justice to kind of capture that sense of the opportunity for the attorneys of, of starting a sustainable practice and uh, justice for people, uh, people out there in the world that need help uh, improve access to justice for them. So that's the opportunity and justice, how they're linked to what we're trying to incubate, what we're trying to start. Uh,
1: and I assume it's the Durham opportunity and justice incubator. So you're, I assume you're focusing on attorneys emerging in that geography. Correct.
0: However, and this, this was a, uh, I'm I'm uh, in the process of a rebranding exercise and I'm looking for a good PR marketing firm. Yeah, they're
1: really hard to find. Let me tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, so yes, the, the, the short answer initially was, yes, I was focusing on the Durham area. Uh, I went to law school in Durham at North Carolina Central University School of Law, which is in Durham. And uh, initially my vision for the incubator was to help attorneys in Durham um, create opportunity for them and improve justice for uh that uh, people in the durham area however what i've discovered over the past year there's an appetite for attorneys across the state to be a part of this incubator and because of technologies like zoom and microsoft teams there's no reason where why you have to be in durham to be a part of it and so the current cohort of attorneys i have seven attorneys that are in this cohort that launched in september um half of them are not in the triangle or the the Raleigh Durham area there's one in Fayetteville which is an hour and a half away there's one just over the border from Charlotte which is 3 hours away and there's one in the process of moving to Tennessee so it's um so I'm the, the vision has expanded from being just Durham to being something that uh can assist attorneys and uh people across the state so that's part of the yeah, the background on the, the rebranding and I'm I'm yeah. moving away from Durham to from Durham yeah. as a part of the name um, but that's a separate conversation so yeah
1: okay no that's that's helpful and I mean you know I'm not familiar with the legal practice I've not gone to law school or you know had to start a practice so what is it what are the obstacles I guess that people face in the process of trying to start a legal practice that the incubator really helps solve
0: yeah the the It's not all that different um, than probably whether you're an engineer or an accountant or any professional services. There's there's a lot of similar similarities. So, um, I mean, lawyers, attorneys like to think they're different and there's an arrogance that comes with the profession that is um, not deserved. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But that doesn't stop attorneys from being arrogant at times. Um, Not not all attorneys, but I mean, the obstacles they face are attorneys come out of law school and they know the law. They know how to file a motion, they know uh, how to file a complaint, and they know the procedures to do the law. Many attorneys, if they want to start their own practice, go solo or start a small firm or a partnership, have not had any kind of training on the business side Mm -hmm. um, of of running a business. And again, it's a professional service business, so it's Mm -hmm. Has similar issues that an accounting firm, that a PR firm, that a uh an engineering firm might have. Just how do I get clients? How do I manage the accounting side? Uh, how do I hire people? How do I uh organize my files and keep track of clients, of uh all the different metrics and the profit and loss statements and uh, banking relationships? And so it's it's uh, attorneys like to think that their business is different than anybody else, but there's a lot of similar similarities to any other professional service uh, business. And um, that's what the incubator does. is try to help on the business side. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um,
1: yeah. And, and uh, is it, did you start the incubator? Well, I mean, what's the story there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the story, the, the, um, the, The idea of an incubator, I was midway through law school. I graduated just 18 months ago. I went to law school later in life. I had a prior career, a 25-year career in consulting engineering. Um, But midway through law school, let me back up. As I went into law school, I really didn't know how I would use Hmm. my law license, my my JD, Juris Doctorate. But I, I guess I trusted the process and said, well, I'll figure something out by the time I'm done. Yeah. Um, and midway through law school, my 2L year, I was listening to a podcast. Hmm. So there's the va- value of yeah, podcasts that can spark uh, spark your imagination and, and inspire you. But this podcast was um, in a, a, a law professor. Her name's Luz Herrera. She's out, was out in Texas. I think she might be in California now. But she talked about this idea of a legal incubator. And it's as, as it is, as I've described it, but it's, it's helping attorneys start a practice that will be financially sustainable and address the access to justice problems that run that are uh, prevalent in our country. And the access, just real quick on the access yeah. to justice issue in America. There's been lots of studies that that validate this, but just in broad terms, if you're in the top 10% of income earning people, you have no problem hiring an attorney if you run into a problem, whatever that problem might be, whether it's running a business or a civil issue or a family law issue or whatever the case may be. Top 10%, no problem. The bottom, lower income, there are some resources through legal aid that provide some level of representation, but that's not even adequate. That access to justice issue is very real in terms of the big middle, the modest means, and, and modest means is a broad, you know, it's the middle 60 to 80% of the, uh, the population in America struggle to hire an attorney or they don't think they need an attorney. So the access to justice issue is trying to, f- figure out ways, creative ways through pricing, through technology of helping those in that big middle that may be that are missing out on yeah. good representation and, and getting a just outcome to whatever their problem might be. Whether yeah. It's, yeah, whatever the problem might be. So um, this podcast I listened to talked about uh, these illegal incubators and the light bulb went off in my mind. I thought, this is perfect. This is my this might be why I went to law school, it, because to me it was this perfect convergence or overlap mm-hmm. uh, that, that Venn diagram of my my business background in consulting my what I'm learning in the legal profession and also in, in law school, but also learning about the legal profession itself in terms of how it struggles sometimes with, with the business aspects, but then also my interest in access to justice of yeah. providing legal representation to people that may think they can't afford it or don't think they need it. So that, that incubator idea, you um, know, uh, in, in the business world, there are incubators, startup yeah, incubators right. all over the place. And in the legal profession, it's relatively new. Just in the last 25 years or so, uh, it started with a, a a man named Fred Rooney with the, Um, City University of New York Law School um, 25 years ago. And there's surprisingly not that many legal incubators around the the country. I think it makes so much sense. But to me, I think it's a testimony that the law profession is just, they think the way they've been doing it for the last 200 years is still the right way to do it. So, um, and not that I'm a great rebel or revolutionary, but I (laughs) I am entering this profession with an open mind and see that there are better ways to do things. And I think this incubator, I'm hopefully this incubator can help uh, be a part of maybe figuring out better ways to do things. Oh, that's great. No, but you mentioned in there that, uh,
1: you're, you're a recent law school grad. So nonprofit leadership and the practice of law has not been your lifelong profession. So maybe tell us about this path you've taken that got, that's gotten you to where you are today. Sure.
0: Yeah. it's it's a circuitous path for sure. And, um, so, uh, I, I graduated from Duke in 1986 and was, uh, uh, the Navy paid for my four years at Duke. So I had to pay back the Navy with four years of my life, active duty from 86 to 90. Um, And when I got out of the Navy, um, I was an electrical engineer. Um, So uh, Duke does have an electrical engineering program. It's a small, small program, (laughs) but they do have an engineering program. Um, So I got out of the Navy, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but long story short, I was hired by a, Predominantly civil engineering slash transportation planning firm, mm-hmm. uh, consulting firm called Kimley Horn and Associates, and at the time it was about three hundred people. I was um, my first day was July second, nineteen ninety, at Kimley Horn and Associates. A little over um, three hundred people. Uh, annual revenue was in the twenty millions or so. When I retired from Kimley Horn in twenty fifteen. Uh, it was about 3000 people and, um, six, 700 million in revenue. And it was a great ride. I mean, my first 10 years or so at Kimley Horn, I was primarily a project engineer, project manager, and then I transitioned to, um, a regional business manager and where I was doing a lot more kind of back room mm-hmm. contracts, leases, uh, working with project accountants, revenue, cost accounting, I don't have an MBA, I don't have the CPA, but that's kind of, I just got interested in the, on the business side. And Kimley Horn was an agile enough company and a flexible enough company that I could sort of pick my path hmm. for what, where my interests were and where my talents were, whatever those talents might be. And um, because I wasn't a civil engineer, I wasn't pigeonholed. And and that's, uh, they didn't know what to do with electrical engineers. So I said, well, let me try a little bit of everything and see what I liked. And I, I, as I did that, I moved away from engineering. (laughs) I realized (laughs) engineering was not what um, got me up in the morning, but it was just working with people and solving problems um, and just making Kimley Horn a better place. And um, so I had 25 years there was, was wonderful. Um, a great place, the best company in America that nobody's heard of, uh, hmm. Horn and Associates. And it's now I think they just exceeded a billion dollars in revenue wow. um, with maybe four or five thousand people. Um, a great place to work, a great culture. Yeah. But so I learned a lot there um, of how to run a business. And um, so I retired in 2015, not knowing what I would do, um, but just gave myself a couple of years to kind of um kind of do a reset. And I, I left at a good, you know, I left happy at Kimley mm-hmm. Horn. I, you know, I didn't, I left happy. I, yeah. I, I left when I wanted to leave and, and, and in a good place. But um, just thinking about it, if I had, I guess I sort of split up my life in sort of 25 year increments. The mm-hmm. first 25 years was being a kid, growing up, going to school, yeah, um, I include Navy in that just learning, learning what it is to be a grown up, I guess, or and the next 25 years is a Kimley Horn, you know, being that working professional, being the dad. And then I'm thinking, what's the next 25 years going to be? And so I wanted it to be something meaningful. I, I don't play golf. Um, I'm not going to just lay around on the couch. Um, so uh, through my through some reading, uh, I read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson uh, I, um, toyed with the idea of going to law school. Um, my wife, Helen encouraged me. She said, mate, you know, why don't you go to law school? Um, and just, uh, thinking about how can I serve in the community, uh, where I live, what could I do? And at that point I thought maybe I'd be, uh, you know, represent, indigent clients or maybe i didn't know what i would do yeah but i like i said i sort of was going to trust the process to see where i would best be used to kind of plug in so that's what got me into law school uh took the lsat did okay didn't do great well enough um and i was only going to go to central nc central is an hbcu historically black college and university it's in durham um uh, part of the process was i wanted to go um I wanted to kind of dive into a different culture, basically, yeah. to kind of um, challenge myself. I was in law school. I found out later that I was known as the tall old white guy. Um, <laughs>
1: That's uh, great. And it, it was I, w- I was
0: lovingly accepted by the the younger folks. Um, I was surrounded by by kid. I call them kids. My classmates. Yeah. I call I lovingly call them kids because um, they're my kids' age. Um, yeah. But it was wonderful. We had prayer meetings together. We had study mm. sessions together. Um, we laughed and cried together and had fun together. They even invited me to a few parties. I didn't go to any of their parties, um but I was appreciated that uh that I was invited so so that's what got me to law school. Um, yeah, and then the incubator idea popped up, and that's what that's got me great. to today. Well, good for you. that's awesome
1: um. You know, but it sounds like in some ways you're a, a just a learner by nature. You like to dig into something and learn about it, and do all those things. Um and you know, you you at Kimberly Horn had to learn things in order to bring value to the company. Um and you were part of that growth phase in the life of the company as a result. Uh you you've uh are doing the same thing now as part of the incubator, right? Helping people grow and cuz you and all the things it takes to do that. But I know you, you know, you've served on the board of multiple nonprofits, especially there in Durham, and now you lead one. So I'm just curious, as you think about the nonprofit sector, uh, you know, what have you learned so far about what it takes for a nonprofit to grow?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, part of being, well, being on the board, I've been at least on three different boards, nonprofit boards, not including the, I mean, I'm the executive director of, of the Zero Opportunity and Justice Incubator, so I have a different relationship there. But being on the board of nonprofits, what I realize is, I well, I've been fortunate to the the nonprofit boards I've been on have been relatively highly functioning. I think have been good, but I've heard horror stories of many nonprofit boards that are dysfunctional in different ways. And so, one thing that comes to mind is the value that a A highly functioning board can contribute to a nonprofit, whether it's advising, advising or an oversight and accountability, wisdom and guidance, you know, all those things. And my eyes were open to that. One of the boards I served in was in Cary Dorcas Ministries. It's been around 50 plus years. Um, It's got a two or three million dollar budget and they sent us to a uh, training they invested in the board and sent us to a, a a weekend training on and where that's where I heard the idea of board governance. Yeah. And this was all before law school and, and, you know, fiduciary responsibility, but it was, I think it was sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield or some, some um, organization sponsored it, but it was wonderful training. And it was, it was put, it, the material was, was board source. I don't know if it's board source.org, but I recently ran across them on the internet, but board source is just, has great material for training a board on governance of, of how to do nonprofit board work better. And so I guess if I'm answering your question, I guess the answer I would give is the, the one of the things I've seen of nonprofits of of the value that the help that nonprofits need is if there's an engaged board that Mm -hmm. knows what they do and also knows what they're not supposed to do. Um, uh, because sometimes boards can get too much in the weeds and sometimes they can be too distant, but, you know, there's that sweet spot that it's, you know, function of the personalities of all the different characters, but just, uh, um, you know, I don't have any specific examples, but I guess the point is a highly functioning engaged board is invaluable to the success of a nonprofit. Well, you know, that's, I, first of all, I
1: totally believe that too. And one of the frustrations I think for a diligent donor is that you know, You can go on a 990 and look at numbers, right? How money is coming in and how it's being spent. Um, and there's a lot of things about nonprofit, right? We even have a uh, monitoring and evaluation stuff for a lot of nonprofits, but uh, being able to kind of put a score quality score on the board is for an outsider. It's, um, it's impossible. I've, I've yet to come across a tool you know, or something that can help you. What's the health of this board uh, for this organization? But to your point, it's actually probably
0: maybe the most critical thing to a success. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a, that's an interesting thought. How to grade the board. I mean, boards should be grading themselves, but they may not be willing to put that grade out. for the. That's right. You know, this, this less than until the IRS requires it. They don't want to make that public, but yeah, I think boards have to challenge themselves. And the other thing I think about boards, and it's also on you know, committees, you know, particularly, I mean, we're all church folks, we're all church committees, but this, we're too, we should be civil and nice to each other, but sometimes we just avoid hard conversations because we just don't want to go there. And you don't have to be uncivil or you don't have to be rude to have hard conversations. But I think whether you're on a church committee or a nonprofit board, just be willing to enter into difficult conversations about you know why are we doing what we're doing is this yeah. the best way to do it and just ask hard questions as opposed to just you know check 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 yeah. agree 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 but you know have real discussions
1: yeah no that's that's good uh so you've you know you've been involved in a lot of organizations and um you know I don't have, when I was thinking about the nature of your organization you know I couldn't think of even a local equivalent in my community um and just even the category of justice oriented nonprofits. uh let's say i just feels to me like there's not a lot um you know i know of the global ones kind of like international justice mission it's probably the one that comes immediately to my mind uh but i don't come across many on the local level like you have there but i'm guessing because as you described it you're working closely with attorneys who are spread across the state even now not just durham um what are the um I guess I'd be interested to hear the state of justice, the state of representation in communities, especially in the Southeast, probably where you're primarily coming into contact with it. Um, yeah. What have you learned, I guess, about the state of things?
0: Yeah, that is really, um, yeah, as I think about that, you know, I'll just talk about what I know in Durham. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm guessing it's representative of a place like Chattanooga or elsewhere. There's actually, I think, a lot of nonprofits that are in the justice arena in their particular advocacy field. Mm. Um, and, and they may not, they may or may not use the terms justice, but yeah. they're about homelessness. They're about yeah. you know, uh, food security. They're Even about, social workers to some descent could be involved. Yeah, And so they may not, I mean, I think that falls under broad justice yeah. umbrella, um, but and and there is uh, uh, with that there with that advocacy or potential advocacy, there could potentially be lightning rods depending on what the particular policy mm-hmm. or, or, or item is that they're advocating. You know, people generally want to uh, feed people and people generally are in favor of like taking care of homeless folks, you know, as long yeah. as they're on someone else's street. And, you know, let's clean, yeah. you know, but when you get into other potentially more, you know, sensitive topics, then it it, it can become a sensitive issue with justice. Mm-hmm. And when I think about attorneys, there are certainly a lot of attorney jokes and attorneys, you know, that are <laughs> the brunt of jokes, but generally the profession is still respected. So you're right in saying that the, the incubator I've started is focused on serving mm-hmm. attorneys and having attorneys apply their skills to justice. So it's, it's, um, and I, I don't tell the attorneys what they're going to use their how to what field of practice they yeah. should focus on. I mean, one attorney in the incubator is representing uh, protesters at a particular city uh, in the state. Um, other attorneys are doing estates and uh wills and estates another one is doing post-conviction work so um depending on what those people were protesting uh that that may or may not be uh i'm not telling her she can't do it but it's it's a matter of justice that those folks are getting representation um so uh yeah they're definitely out there and and i think i haven't had to kind of run across any sort of pushback on terms of well what justice what you know is that Uh, yeah, it's because it's sort of like there, it's, it's a broad enough term that, yeah. uh, and I'm not defining it for people.
1: No, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I've had to use an attorney for my business, uh, and have appreciated, you know, I mean, I people wouldn't think of that as like right a justice issue, but making sure I'm doing things right and uh, making sure I'm structured so society will do right by me too,
0: right? right exactly, yeah, no, no, and and that's yeah, the small business owner, yeah, I, I think it, I mean you know I, I don't know your circumstances yeah. and the issues but i think you're right i mean generally uh, everything what you said is correct but i'm just you know i'm thinking about that uh you know small mom and pop shop that yeah. you know they they could be taken advantage of in terms of their lease arrangements you know they they, they want yeah. a brick and mortar shop and they need somebody to help them negotiate the lease so they're not taken advantage of i mean that's clearly a justice issue to help make sure yeah. they're they're uh, well represent, represented um, but no, you. I mean, your case as well, and to be able to afford just the right advice or if you can't if, um, if and it's not always a financial issue, it could be an information issue, just have access to the information and the, the needs are different depending on yeah. who the person is that needs the, the help. Um, so that and that's part of the flexibility of improving access to justice is not always throwing an attorney into it. Um, but it, it could be just a matter of making the information available for the folks to, to yeah, and, and encourage them and coach them to solve the problem themselves. Well, you know, uh, I know, Mark, uh, we've known each
1: other for quite a number of years. I know you're a very thoughtful Christian, uh, and we think a lot alike on uh, issues. But, you know, we live in a very polarized country at the moment. And uh, that polarization extends even to issues of justice, where it's become volatile to bring that up in mixed company uh, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I imagine uh, it's made for some interesting conversations for you with friends, family, colleagues, even maybe donors. Um, so, yeah, I guess my question for you is, how do you talk about justice, uh, especially modern day, without being drawn into, I'll call it the cultural crossfire?
0: Yeah, it's not it's not always easy because there's conversations that I want to have but probably hold myself back yeah. from friends or families like uh so and I, I won't uh go down that path necessarily on, on this in this conversation. Um but yeah, it is sadly it it is a um uh it can be a difficult conversation uh and one that sometimes the wise thing is to not have it it's interesting um i think in in the in the um what's the word i guess in the broadest sense people want there to be justice you know it's a it's a good term you know i i want justice i want there to be justice for you Mm -hmm. the 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 challenge gets into the nitty-gritty like okay how do we affect that justice what does it look like and justice for me is injustice for you or vice versa you know it's 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 not a um you know it's not necessarily a closed universe and and it's interesting um this is a quick aside but i I just want to get this in uh i'm not a shakespearean uh expert but but and i haven't even read the whole play but in the merchant of venice there's a there's a line um where a character says uh we all basically we all want justice but in the course of justice none of us would find salvation and the point is we need mercy not justice um, we want justice but in the course of justice none of us would yeah. survive that's a bad paraphrase but that was sort of rings in my mind of um I'm not answering your question. I realize, but just this idea of, you know, we want justice, but maybe if we got justice, it wouldn't be what we, what we wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we need mercy. And so I guess that's a good, um, lesson for me to apply to others as well that, that, uh, you know, maybe I need to offer mercy rather than think about, well, I'm right in this case. I need to extend a little bit of mercy. Um, so fortunately, the 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 mission of the incubator is not a polarizing, at least not yet that I've run across. Yes, yeah. um, but having those conversations, I mean, I have friends and family that we think differently on some of these social issues of today, and um, I I just don't go there right now. Um, yeah, and and part of it is that I'm I'm learning to. Helen helps me. My wife helps me. She said, "Mark." <laughs> You bringing that, you bringing that up is not going to help. Maybe you should just be quiet. <laughs> and there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, maybe well, I should just be quiet.
1: Yeah. If justice is doing, you know, righteousness, sometimes the right thing to do is just to uh, hold your tongue. Right. Um, right. But yeah, but yeah. But let's hope that uh, let's hope that all of our conversations about justice are uh, teamed or
0: are, uh, are tainted with mercy. mercy. Right. Well, I, an, another great quote, and I, this, I'm going off a of memory. I may not remember this exactly right, but I heard Dallas, uh, Dallas Willard, who I think mm-hmm. has passed away, but he uh, I was reading, rereading Divine Conspiracy. And I heard a, a story about he was at some conference and he was challenged in a, in a, in a rude, critical way about something that he said. And his response was, he, I don't know exactly what his response was. I think he might have said something to the effect of, well, thank you. That's, that's, that's a good point. I'll have to think about that. And then he then he left. Hmm. And somebody said, Why did you just leave? Why didn't you respond to him and, and he w- respond to him and tell him, you know, how he was wrong and what he thought? And he said, I'm practicing not having the last word.
1: Oh, wow. Which
0: I thought was a wonderful, like, and I'm I need to do that. I'm practicing yeah. not having the last word. Hmm. Um, but what a what a merciful yeah. Christian response that was. Well, that's
1: great. And, uh, no, well, Mark, I always enjoy any conversation we get to have Mm -hmm. and, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to have this one and, uh, yeah, I can't let it go unnoticed. Um, that you, the, the two professions you've chosen are both given to jokes. Uh, <laughs> <people>. <laughs> you, you really need to think this
0: through. <laughs> I know, well, I, yeah. I, I guess I, actually I've thin-skinned, but I guess I've, I've gotten used to it. <laughs> well, good, man. Well, thanks for
1: the time. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoy being a part of it because I love every opportunity I get to talk with Mark. But as you probably discovered, he brings such unique insights, having come from being a leader of a large business and seeing what it takes to grow and sustain something, and now putting that to use in a way in which he feels like he is improving the world where he is. But, you know, if I could point you to one thing he said to remember, and that is the quality of the board, is critical to the quality of the organization. It's not always possible as a donor to know what the quality of a board is, but as an organizational leader, you certainly can make sure that the board is exercising proper governance because it's going to make you stay on a mission and get further faster. If you want to learn more about growing donor relationships through strategic communications, make sure you visit roundtreeagency.com. See you again soon.